We are back, and this is hour two of Ariva Martin in real time. And in this hour, I am talking to civil rights attorney Nakima Levy Armstrong. She is an activist extraordinaire, was on the front line after George Floyd was murdered in Minnesota, really pushing for changes in that city with respect to his police department, with respect to the leadership even on city council. Uh, she now has uh, decided that in addition to being an advocate around issues related to police brutality, she wanted to do something about the uh, book bans that we have seen throughout this country. We've seen uh, organizations uh, like Moms for Liberty and others who have made it their goal, their aim, their purpose to uh, cause school districts around this country to ban books that they find offensive. Uh, she uh, just was written up in a, a really uh, great feature in Essence Magazine talking about her new organization, Moms for Liberation. Uh, and in that article, some startling st statistics that I think we need to talk about uh, in the article, it says book challenges almost doubled from 2021 to 2022. And according to Pan America, there were 3,362 instances of books being banned during the 22-23 school year. 40% of banned books happened courtesy of Florida, although Texas, Missouri, Utah, and South Carolina are also leading the way to ban books. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Nakima, for joining me today. Thank you for the work you're doing uh, with Moms for Liberation. I have so many questions I want to ask you about this new organization. Uh, I, whenever there's a, a need, I know activists and advocates like you step in to fill that void. But why did you start? What was the catalyst for you starting Moms for Liberation? Well, there were quite a few reasons. One, thank you for having me on the show. But I am a children's book author. I wrote a book called J is for Justice. It is a picture book for children, and it's focused on teaching them how to use their voices in the face of injustices and adversity. And that book stemmed from my experience here on the front lines in Minneapolis, uh, fighting for police accountability, but bringing my youngest child along, who's now six, and she was out there literally since she was in the womb, uh, being a part of the movement. And so through that experience, I thought about other children who maybe didn't have the language or the words for what they were seeing on television or even when they were attending protests. And so it's actually been a powerful vehicle to get into schools, to chant with kids, to read the story to kids. So I understand the power and the importance of diverse representation when it comes to authors, particularly Black authors and other authors of color, being able to share their creativity and their thoughts around issues that matter in our society. And so as I learned about this phenomenon of book banning, and I started to dig more deeply into it, I realized that it's part of a concerted effort to push back against some of the racial justice gains that many of us saw beginning in 2020, um, with the aftermath of George Floyd being killed. And there are several right-wing organizations that have a political motivation um, behind what they're doing, this push for censorship, this move to silence our voices, and they're expecting us to not stand up and fight back. And of course, the activist in me refuses to sit on the sidelines as this is going on. Wow. I love it. I love it. Uh, I love that one, you are a children's book author as a mom. 
I can imagine that, you know, this is so not just special to you uh, as a mother, but to your daughter. And as you're telling that story of your daughter being out on the front lines uh, of protest while in the womb, I'm thinking about our Vice President Kamala Harris. She often tells the story of how her mom, who was an activist in Berkeley uh, in the 60s and 70s, how she and her younger sister uh, were often, you know, right there on the front lines with her mother. And we know, you know, what that meant for now our vice president who went to law school, who became a prosecuting attorney, became an attorney general, became a senator, and now the vice president of the United States. So uh, your first daughter is- that back, right? First daughter, first woman, first African-American, first Southeast Asian. Uh, your daughter is getting an incredible uh, lesson and activism and advocacy being out there with you. Uh, so kudos to you again for starting this organization. But uh, tell us, uh, Nakima, some of the books, because I think when people think about book bans, some people might think, well, this is a, a great service that these mothers, perhaps that have been the most vocal about these bans are banning maybe pornography or you know other kinds of books that perhaps parents wouldn't want their kids to read. Uh, you and I know that's not the case. So uh, you know, educate. Uh, me and my listeners on, you know, what some of what are the titles of some of these books that have been banned? Well, I'll share at least a couple of key titles that were a shock to me. The book by Ta-Nehisi Coates, Between the World and Me, you know, mm. which was almost like a love letter, you know, to his son talking about racism, discrimination. That book was banned. He actually wound up showing up to a school board meeting, I believe in South Carolina, where this happened. Um, an AP teacher had introduced the book into the classroom and some white students complained and said that the book made them feel guilty or ashamed um, mm -hmm. about being white. And that was enough for the teacher to be told that she could not use that book in an advanced placement class. And then the book Hair Love is another, it's a children's picture book, which I love so much. Um, when I think about the positive representation of Black hair in that book and the powerful messages that it specifically sends to Black girls around embracing their natural hair and loving who they are, who would think that a book like that would be dangerous enough to ban, right? So we have to understand that this is not happening in a vacuum. This is a part of what has happened historically with regard to suppressing our rights to read what we want to read, even to learn how to read, if we want mm -hmm. to take it all the way back to the days of slavery. But to understand that, again, this is a part of a concerted effort to push back against the gains that have been made. We've seen it with uh, attacks on uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. We've seen it through the recent Supreme Court decision, um, overturning affirmative action, so this is all interconnected and interrelated. And it's not just about the books, it's also very political. So if you look at um, one of the leading uh, right-wing organizations that's pushing this movement, it's a group called Moms for Liberty. Mm -hmm. And they were founded just over two years ago. And they have over 200 chapters around the country. Wow. They have also um, been um, supporting political candidates and from my understanding, roughly 30% of the candidates that they endorse actually got elected. And 
they've had um, a platform for people like Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, mm. and other very conservative politicians uh, to speak, you know, the vitriol that we know causes a lot of harm within our communities. So it's interesting that uh, you said with respect to Tasasi, uh Coates book that it was being taught in this advanced placement class. Those are typically 11th and 12th graders. So they're not, we're not talking about kindergartners or first graders uh, that the white students said that the content of that book made them uncomfortable or made them feel ashamed to be white. It seems like there are these cold words now, Nakima, that, you know, white people have taught each other and have passed on to their children and they're triggering words. So if you say something like this DEI workshop makes me uncomfortable or the language uh, used by a professor makes me uncomfortable or the contents even of a book makes me uncomfortable, makes me feel ashamed of being white, that that's all you need to say. Those kind of coded words become enough to put into action the either the banning of the book or the discipline of you know a teacher facing some kind of disciplinary action. When did we first start to hear that language? Because I, I'm just trying to think back to myself being in school, being in college, being in law school. I don't remember sitting in classrooms with white students, and I went to predominantly white college, a predominantly white college in law school. White students using that language about being uncomfortable because it was a lesson on slavery or it was a lesson being taught about, you know, black people in the civil rights movement. Do you have any reference for when they started using this, this, this language about comfort level? I, I'm sure that there's always been an undercurrent of white people, white children expressing discomfort when Black folks are unapologetic and outspoken about the issues that we have experienced. I mean, even thinking back to Dr. King, right, and that's some of the backlash that he received for simply speaking the truth and demanding justice for our community. So I believe that undercurrent has always been there. It shows up in different ways. But now, uh, what we're dealing with, you know, at least over the last couple of years, is, I guess, a more blatant uh, expression of discomfort mm -hmm. um, of white people and, and white young folks, you know, deciding to push back against this focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and against the truth about history itself, right? right? If we look at what's happened historically, how can you argue with the truth? It's, it's in black and white in right. terms of the harms that were done to us because of the color of our skin. But we do see, Nakima, in states like Florida, efforts to really rewrite what we have historically known as the truth, like this notion that when slavery is being taught in Florida, they should talk about the positives of slavery, not just the negatives. You know, this whole notion that somehow slaves were learning uh, useful skills, uh, that they were in some kind of like job training program. And when they were finally free, they could go out and be locksmiths and uh, welders and cooks and other things that, you know, made them marketable uh, in, you know, the, the broader marketplace. So we have seen efforts to distort the truth uh, in ways that we know are particularly harmful. I do want to ask you about moms 
monster liberty. You're right. Very powerful group, not just banning books, but actually uh, giving a platform to very uh, extreme uh, extremists, uh, politicians, uh, the MAGA politicians, let's call them that. Uh, and seeing those politicians buy and compete for the endorsement of these mostly women. Uh, what, from your understanding of Moms for Liberty, what has made them so effective? Because, uh, you know, when you think about the school board meetings, I can remember back, you know, after George Floyd's murder, when we started to see the backlash, we would see news reports of these very contentious school board meetings where you'd have them packed with a lot of these conservative uh, activists, uh, you know, a lot of shouting and screaming and, you know, uh, very contentious meetings. It, has that been their strategy, you know, one of intimidation? Well, I think part of how they came to quote unquote prominence, right, in some circles is how they see them. Um, it started actually during COVID-19 when, you know, you saw schools taking drastic actions in order to protect children, in order to protect teachers. And they started pushing back, you know, at that point because they didn't agree. Mm -hmm. And then after that, they started to focus on their, I think one of their slogans is like, we don't co-parent with the government, mm -hmm. right? And so that is one way that they started to build momentum, talking about big government and government's overreach and telling parents what they could and could not do. And then mm -hmm. that opened the door to them beginning this process of pushing for book bans. But we have to remember, even shortly before that, there was all of these notions around critical race theory right. and uh, politicians like DeSantis talking about critical race theory, even though we know critical race theory is not taught in K-12 education. It's right. more of the propaganda that is being used to try to keep I would argue the influence of Donald Trump alive and well um, mm -hmm. through any of our systems. And so it's it's sad to watch this unfold. So when you think about these groups like Moms for Liberty, other than showing up at these school board meetings, other than organizing, what, what other strategies have they used to be effective? Because I can imagine that the typical parent that shows up at a school board meeting or at a superintendent's office saying, I don't like this book, I want it banned, that that's not in and of itself going to cause that school, you know, to, to take action. I, so why have they been so effective? Well, I, honestly, I think white privilege has played a huge role in terms of their ability to even garner so much media attention for what they're mm -hmm. doing. They also are very well funded. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, a part of how they're able to organize, mobilize folks, um, have different events. And, and like I said, to set up these chapters in different places around the country. Most recently, within the last week or so, we even saw Scholastic Books make a decision to um, create a focus on uh, diverse books in a separate category because of the push for book bans. It's not a positive thing, it's a negative thing in the sense of them caving to the pressure surrounding book bans and deciding to set aside books by diverse authors, LGBTQ authors, et cetera. Whereas when we were in school, you know, the books that they had available were all out together at once. Right. So we're right. even seeing a major company like Scholastic cave to this, to this pressure. pressure something yeah. our community needs to pay attention to. It's not just a fringe issue. 
when you have that kind of political power, we have to understand what's at stake for us in 2024 as a people. When we come forward, I want to talk about how your new organization, your newfound organization, uh, Moms for Liberation, is taking on these groups, these well-funded, well-organized groups like Moms for Liberty. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back. And in this hour, I'm talking to Nakima Levy Armstrong. She's a civil rights attorney. She's an activist and an advocate. She is also the founder of a new organization called Moms for Liberation. And Nakima's on a mission. She's on a mission to fight back uh, those very conservative GOP backed and really well-funded, well-organized groups that have been going around this country getting books banned. And Nakima made an excellent point in the last segment about these groups, that they are uh, more than just groups of moms who care about what happens in their kids' schools. These women, predominantly women who are part of these organizations, have lots of political ties. They have a political agenda. Many of them are associated or affiliated with uh, Christian evangelics. I'm looking at one of them, a Moms for Liberty chair. Uh, This woman had uh, previously fought a library for having an adaptation of the Anne Frank diary. And she was on a a podcast really making anti-Semitic comments, saying that uh, Jewish uh, people were tyrants, how Jewish people had forsaken God, and, you know, really stating some views that, again, go beyond what you would think in terms of a parent who's just concerned about what her child uh, reads, which is why the the organization that Nakima has started, Moms for Liberation, is so important. Uh, so Nakima, we were talking about Scholastic, one of the biggest, you know, book providers to schools uh, in the country, uh, having caved in to the pressure from some of these organizations like Moms for Liberty, and now creating uh, a whole category. And is that being done? This diverse book category to, you know, like send a message to teachers and to parents and to students that if you pick one of these books out of this so-called diverse category, that it may contain language that you find offensive? What's what's the purpose of this new group category, uh, this new category of uh, books? It's honestly hard to know what their ultimate purpose is other than sending a signal that we don't want to come under the ire of Moms for Liberty and these other groups who are pushing back. We want to continue coming into schools, selling our books, and not have the courage to stand up for diverse authors, authors who might be um, LGBTQIA and female authors. So I think it's really a shame and it's a slap in the face um, to our community because many of us, we know we spent sent our kids with our last pocket change over mm-hmm. the years you know, to go purchase books during the Scholastic Book Fairs. And for them to not engage the Black community about this uh, or other communities of color and to move forward, you know, almost in solidarity with what Moms for Liberty and other groups are doing, I think it is really um, a terrible reflection um, on, on their company at this time. So we are going to be pushing back and mobilizing people to try to get Scholastic Books' attention. 
regarding this particular decision. And, and we're going to talk a lot about how your organization, your new organization, Moms for Liberation, is uh, fighting back against these ultra-conservative groups like Moms for Liberty. But I, I just, again, just do a simple Google search of Moms for Liberty. And, you know, of course, you get the background that they are ultra-conservative group uh, trying to ban books that they find offensive books that, as you said, uh, have content or perhaps even written by members of the LGBTQ community, uh, issues, books that deal with issues of race or racism. But these women are incredibly organized around uh, politics and getting candidates elected, particularly school board candidates. They do voter guides where they are telling people in local communities who they should vote for, candidates that they believe will support their very conservative agenda. So again, this isn't just a bunch of moms showing up at school board meetings. These are very organized, well-funded, and potentially uh, very powerful uh, organizations or groups of women that are influencing who gets elected at the local level and all the way up to the presidential level. So talk to us, uh, Nakima, about Moms for Liberation and how a group like yours that is designed to counter the efforts of groups like Moms for Liberty, what are some of the strategies that you're using? It's still early, I would say, you know, in our development as an organization. And we are actually an extension of an organization that I run called the Wayfinder Foundation, which focuses on Black and Brown women amplifying their voices and their leadership skills um, who are engaging in social justice activism within their communities. And so when I think about our mission, I think that it's important for us to provide uh, proper education and information to people so that they will begin to take this seriously. Because with so many competing narratives out there, with so much going on in the world, it's easy to think, oh, but that's you know at the bottom of my list of priorities until folks begin to understand that, again, this is very much so connected to a broader political agenda and all of the power and the platforms um, that are interconnected um, into their mission. And so um, I was actually attending the annual conference of school board partners, which is a national organization that trains school board members around the country. And I was on a panel and during my panel discussion, um, we were talking about, someone had asked the question about, you know, why is this even important, you know, with regard to, to Moms for Liberty? Why should we even give them their attention? And then I responded, you know, by saying this is important and here's why. You know, this is a direct attack on our civil liberties, our freedoms, and attempts to silence our voices. Um, and we have to begin to not only pay attention, but we have to fight back. And then I mentioned that I was toying with the idea of launching Moms for Liberation, and the crowd broke out into applause. Um, Dr. David Johns, you know, who's a well-known activist and organizer, blurted out, you know, do it now. You know, so literally from the stage at School Board Partners uh, National Conference in New Orleans, I opened my phone and launched the Instagram page. <laughs> and so many, it, it was such an exciting moment because many of the people who joined the page in that moment are sitting school board members from around the country. So they made up the first uh, group of people who decided to get dialed into the, these issues. So that was really important. 
Um, additionally, we were also thinking about this notion of empowering school board members mm -hmm. and specifically empowering black and brown women and mothers who may want to run for school board because I feel we're the experts. Yes. We've had to deal with the brunt of any issues within the public school system, any inefficiencies, any discrimination. And so um, I actually reached out to school board partners earlier this year about partnering with us on a fellowship opportunity. And that fellowship opportunity is actually going on right now. It includes 30 black and brown women from around the country who are being mentored, who are being given uh, training um, information and opportunities, and who are uh, being encouraged to run for school board on an anti-racism platform so that they can help counter some of these false and racist, racist narratives and actions that groups like Moms for Liberty and other right-wing organizations are taking. And I'm so, so I hope that we'll be able to um, influence uh, Black and brown mothers making a decision to take on the mantle of leadership um, within their school systems. I'm so glad that you had the, the the vision and the foresight to partner uh, with that organization to provide those 30 women with that opportunity. Because, uh, again, going back to Moms for Liberty, since its formation in Florida, just 2021, so we're talking just two years ago, they have become the vanguard of a conservative movement that's pushed to roll back school diversity and equity initiatives. So not just banning books, but diversity and equity initi initiatives uh, prohibit classroom discussions of topics on gender, sexuality, and race. And just this summer, uh, Donald Trump and other GOP presidential candidates uh, went to Philadelphia for their second national summit. And at their summit, they're doing exactly what you just said. They're training school board candidates on fundraising, on media strategy, on you know how to flip a school board. And once that school board is flipped, how to get that school board to take action consistent with their agenda. So in two years, these women have become so powerful that every GOP candidate running for president showed up at their summit. And you and I know that's huge. I mean, NAACP, legacy civil rights organizations, you have to fight to get, you know, the leading candidates running for president at your convention. And we we know for sure they weren't there in year two. So in year two of this, these, this uh, summit for Moms for Liberty, they have so much power. And what it says to me is what we say as a cliche is that all politics are local. They took that cliche, turned it on its head, and starting at the ground level, at the local level, have built now an organization that has power from the yeah. school board to the White House. Uh, and your efforts partnering to teach Black and Brown women how to do the exact same thing are uh, so needed. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm glad you started when you did. I hope you get the support that you deserve uh, because in some ways we're late. I mean, they got a two-year head start. They got a, a two-year funding, you know, head start, and we got some catch-up to do. Uh, when we come forward, I want to talk about, hold that, hold that thought, because when we come forward, I, I'll let you respond to that. And I also want to talk about Houston, because some really interesting things are happening in the Houston uh, school district that 
you know, fit into the narrative that we're seeing played out uh, by some of these other schools in Texas, uh, other districts in Texas, in Missouri, in South Carolina, and Florida. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. We are back, and we're talking to uh, one of the country's uh, most esteemed civil rights lawyers who has thrown her hat into the arena to take on groups like Moms for Liberty to fight back against these parent-driven organizations who are on a mission to ban books in schools, to prevent conversations around sexuality, gender, and race in schools. And I just want to read you again uh, something just so stunning. In just two years, this group Moms for Liberty uh, have become so powerful. They, as I said earlier, they back candidates, they make recommendations for candidates, and the Brookings Institute has done some research on them, the uh, Brown Center on Education Policy at the Brookings Institute, and they determined that candidates that they back have a higher chance of winning in more conservative parts of the country. So in two years, they have such power that they can influence the election of candidates. So Nakima, again, I'm just sitting here almost flabbergasted, like, what were we doing? These women were obviously taking advantage of COVID. Maybe we were making sourdough, sourdough bread or, you know, uh, figuring out how to you know, make fancy food at home, but these women were working during COVID. Well, we were in survival mode. If you think about what happened over the last two years, we not only had to deal with the devastating effects of COVID-19, trying to protect the most vulnerable people in our community, but also fighting for justice for George Floyd in Minneapolis mm -hmm. and around the globe. So I feel that we were in survival mode during that time, you know, keeping our heads above water while these women and all of their privilege and all of their might are literally building an army mm. right, to try to take down our school system, to try to attack our, our libraries, to try mm -hmm. to attack the very gains that we've made, you know, in the areas of uh, diversity, equity and inclusion and racial justice. So they have been very intentional and methodical over those last two years. And the sad part is that many of us are still asleep at the wheel when it comes to understanding the power that these women hold, as well as the threat that they mm -hmm. hold to our democracy and to our community as a whole. Yeah, uh, they obviously, like you say, we're building a little army. Uh, they are taking a lot of credit for getting school board members elected in conservative parts of the country. Uh, they basically had the presidential candidates for the GOP come out and, and do a dog and pony show to try to get their endorsement as well. Your, I know you said you have 30 black and brown women partnering now going through this training program. As you envision this organization that you've started, uh, you know, Moms for Liberation, what's the bigger vision? Like, where would you like to be and how can we all help you get there? Well, I would love for us to be able to set up chapters around the country. We've actually had inquiries from folks who follow our Facebook page about being able to set up chapters. So that's what we're working on now, trying to put a toolkit together. We will also be doing virtual events, podcasts, as well as in-person events, and probably at some point, rallies and demonstrations. 
Mm. Right. Because again, as the 2024 elections heat up, we need to be organized. We need to be knowledgeable about what's going on and we need to be willing to fight back. Because if many of us already have concerns about what's happening in the public school system, imagine if these people are able to take control of more school board seats around the country and the ideological battles that are going to ensue. And they have the power. They have the power to set policy. They have the, the power to hold superintendents accountable to a certain level, which is going to trickle to the teachers and the administrations uh, within these different school systems. So even here in Minnesota, just recently, we have had a flare up <laughs> over book banning in Bloomington, Minnesota. And mm-hmm. so some young folks have actually organized their own uh, group to fight back against the book bans that are happening in Bloomington. And now there are parents actually getting involved. So I'm expecting in Minnesota, a place that, you know, many folks think is liberal um, to be uh, one of the states that begins to have to grapple with these issues. But because most of us haven't been attuned to what's going on, we're not ready, you know, in my opinion, but we're trying as Moms for Liberation, we're trying to get the people ready. So one of the things, uh, Nakima, that's very clear about Moms for Liberty is the financial backing, because obviously to host summits, to do trainings, to get uh, 200 chapters around the country, you know, there are a lot of financial resources that had to go into that. So I'm thinking about groups like Emily's List. I'm thinking about other, you know, uh, organizations, PACs, uh, progressive PACs. Do you see any of those perhaps coming on board with Moms for Liberation, providing that kind of financial support you're going to need to get the message out nationwide, to build chapters throughout the nation, and to just, you know, even fund these trainings that need to take place? Well, that's what we're working on now. We have been in touch with a variety of philanthropic partners, laying out, you know, all of the things that you and I are are talking about during this discussion and urging them to invest in our work. And as they invest in our work, that's an investment in black and brown women, mm-hmm. women who, you know, are not afraid of of controversy and challenges and adversity, but women who boldly take on these issues and who have the heart to fight for what's in our community's best interest. So I think that it's one of the best investments that philanthropy can make. But in the meantime, we're not allowing a lack of funding to stop us from doing what's within our power to do. And that's to educate folks, that's to show up where we need to be and to create opportunities like the school board partners fellowship um, that is going on right now. Yeah, that's so important. And the reason I thought about a group like Emily's List and some of the PACs is because ultimately you are training a new generation of women who will become elected officials. And we know that becoming a school board member for some is just a springboard. It's a springboard to uh, their city council. It could be a springboard to their state uh, legislature. It could be a springboard to Congress, to Senate. I mean, it is the beginning for many of our you know, most progressive and effective 
elected officials. So I hope that those groups that fund candidates see this as an opportunity to fund the funnel that is creating candidates. Uh, you know, quickly, Nakeem, I want to make sure people can find you. Uh, if they want to get involved, they want to donate, uh, if they want to volunteer, if they want to partner with you, how can they find you and how can they stay abreast of the progress that Moms for Liberation uh, is making? Well, I would encourage folks to join our Instagram page. Uh, moms at Moms for Liberation and F-O-R, you know, is spelled out. Um, that's a, a great starting point. As they come to the page, they'll see that it's populated with many articles and statistics and other information that they need. They can also um, find us on our website, um, which I believe is momsforliberation.com. Um, and we also, um, you know, they can also follow the work of Wayfinder Foundation as well which is the larger organization that I run that is focused on uh, black and brown women on the front lines and amplifying their voices and their leadership. Well, and thank you. Go ahead. Me, you know, I, oh. I was going to say, if they want to follow me directly, I'm on Instagram, Nakima Levy Armstrong. And so it's at Nakima L. I'm on Facebook as Nakima Levy Armstrong. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on uh, threads as well. So all of those are places that they can go if they want to stay um, connected to what is what is happening. Thank you so much, uh, Nakima. We are out of time, uh, out of time, but this is such an important conversation. I'm so glad I was, I don't know, up at three o'clock in the morning going through my Instagram page. And I saw that you had sent me that really incredible feature that was done on you and the organization in Essence Magazine. So I'm glad to see that uh, a magazine dedicated to black women is lifting up your work because it's important that we get the word out and keep having these conversations because, again, this is so much bigger than a book ban. I, I, we wish this were just about banning books because we, you know, we could handle that, I think, in, in short order. But this is a whole movement. This is a whole movement of women who have aligned themselves with the most extreme voices in the conservative GOP party and are on a mission to take us back to a time when America was not great, uh, take us back to a time where African-Americans and other marginalized people you know, don't have access to information, uh, don't have access to the same resources that, you know, white uh, families and white communities have access to it. And we have to do everything in our power to fight that. And uh, we can count on you uh, when there is a void uh, to step in and pick up the mantle. And again, just congratulations on your new organization, the work that you're doing, anything we can do to amplify your message and the message of Moms for Liberation. Don't hesitate to reach out. We love you here at KBLA Talk 1580. And we are rooting for all things Black, including Moms for Liberation. Next voice that you hear will be Robin Ayers and the Raw Report right here on KBLA Talk 1580.